the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and Novocaine-induced prognosticator of today's news and issues. I think I sound okay now, but I've been worried about it because I had an emergency dental appointment this morning, which is a great way to start off your Monday. And it went for two hours. I didn't expect I didn't expect anything in there. I had a cap come off, and it wasn't hurting. And I said, hey, I got a cap come off. I thought they'd take a look and say, okay, we'll get you another one. But no, I forgot that, that uh, that's not how it works out. And they stick the needle in you, and you deal with that for a while. And for whatever reason with me, it doesn't work right away. They have to load me up with so much stuff. And I appreciate it because once when I was a kid, my dentist decided he didn't need Novocaine at all. He was going to drill because he didn't think it went that deep and hit a nerve. And uh, he was wrong. And for a split second, I was in excruciating pain, so bad that while lying on my back on the chair, I flew across the room. And I knocked over the tray of all the little devices and the torture equipment that they keep on that little tray. And uh, the funny thing about it is I get back in the I'm crawling back into the chair crying. And he goes, you know, you really shouldn't jump out like that. You could get hurt. I'm going, you've lost your mind. Then they stuck so much Novocaine in me that uh, it didn't hurt for like a month after that. And uh, so I spent two hours in the dentist chair this morning and uh, all Novocaine up and uh, couldn't really speak. And I think it's going okay now, but uh, they spent all the time putting in the temporary cap, which was gone by lunch. And so I don't even have that now. So, you know, if the, if the coffee's a little bit too hot or I drink some water and it's a little cold, I'm going to feel it. And if you hear me screaming today, you know, that's it. You just, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. We'll just keep on moving. But I, I'm not anticipating that because I think we're done with that for the day, hopefully. Welcome to, to Southern California Live. It's great to be with you today. The number is 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. You can join our conversation by calling me right now at 888-528-2557. You can also email the show at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We're live in all of Southern California of uh, three to five each and every weekday, bringing you into the conversation about our current events, different things going on to give you some encouragement. Also, maybe a, a good way to think about things that are going on from a Christian perspective, not just for you, but also for people that you might engage with. It's important as we, we talk about stuff going on, right? Your your workplace and you you go to lunch with people, you have conversation about the news and different things going on. How do you represent Christ better? Or if you're not a believer and you're listening, we're glad you're part of our show. We hope it's encouraging and more positive and also a better representation of how we ought to speak to one another. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Next hour, we'll talk about Twitter and Elon Musk and kindness, actually. And I think you'll see how that fits in. This hour, I want to talk a little bit about this and get your thoughts about this. How do you feel about prayer in the public sphere? The Supreme Court today heard a case from Bremerton, Washington, about a football coach fired for praying on the field after games. He was fired about seven years ago, so it's taken a long time for this to get to the Supremes, but it did, and the case won't even be decided until June. But it's a very important case. It will have an impact on whether or not people who work for the government in particular 
which includes teachers, coaches, people at uh, public schools, whether or not they have the ability to pray where they can be seen and how that might be interpreted. Is there a place where that is not, not you shouldn't do that because it's a violation of the Constitution, or is that uh, not the case? That's what this case is about. I'll talk to you about that here in just a moment. I want to get your thoughts about prayer in schools, prayer in front of your city council, which, by the way, is still allowed, which I think is very interesting. I get called to do that once in a while. 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS is the number. SoCalLive at KKLA.com is the email. So I've got my, my coffee. I've let it cool down so it doesn't bother my sensitive tooth in the back of my mouth. And I hope that you're enjoying your afternoon on this fabulous Monday. All right, Supreme Court. This is uh, this is what's going on with this case. And I think it's important for believers. It's important for you if you work in a government job, certainly, whether it's at a school or someplace else for government. It's also important, I think, for kids in school. It's important for kids in how they might express their faith. Uh, Not just Christian faith, by the way, it's any faith uh, is impacted, but typically we see this with uh, Christianity. I think because there's more Christians, but I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm curious if the football coach was of another faith, would anybody care or would he even do it? Um, maybe that's an interesting question. So like many cases involving school prayer, which has been illegal for uh, many, great many years, it's not really illegal to pray in schools. It's not really, you don't really want to say it that way exactly. All right. But it's, it's a problem if it is interpreted as that prayer is being forced on anybody, and that is where it gets it gets kind of corny sometimes because just somebody praying doesn't necessarily mean it's being enforced or forced on anybody. The case is Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, and uh, the president and CEO of the First Liberty Institute, which is representing Kennedy, who is the football coach who was let go, says that a victory for Kennedy would be a victory, quote, for everybody – and that would merely affirm the rights of freedom of religion and free speech. And by contrast, Rachel Laser, the president of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, which represents the school district, of course, warns that a ruling in favor of Coach Kennedy would be a, quote, radical departure from decades of well-established law protecting students' religious freedom. So here's the deal. In this, in this case, what's being decided here is uh, it goes like this, and the facts are actually in dispute on this, okay? So there's, there is not just the Supremes who are going to have to deal with how they want to interpret the law. They're also going to have to choose sides, basically. Who do I believe as far as what really happened here in this case? In this case, Kennedy and the school district, they see it differently. Kennedy says he was fired for briefly and privately praying at midfield. So what he would do is... Uh, after the game, he'd go out to the 50-yard line, uh, not necessarily in the middle of the field, although that began to happen later, but just where he was. And he would just pray, give thanks to God, win or lose, he would give thanks to God. He was inspired by a movie, he says, in order to do that. And he had been doing that for a long time. Um, the school district, instead, says that he's holding public prayer meetings at the 50-yard line, is what they're arguing, and that it it puts pressure on students to join him and what they say is, quote, genuine, they have genuine safety concerns for students on the field because of the spectacle that ensued from his media outreach on praying. So apparently the praying coach, it went viral on social media and the media showed up, regular media showed up, TV cameras and stuff a couple of times to show him praying. And that's where everything kind of hit the fan. He got let go because he wouldn't really quit doing that. And uh, there's just a difference of opinion of what it means. Was he deliberately trying to gather people together to pray? Uh, A, is there anything wrong with that in the first place? Should that be illegal? 
for a government employee, which is what the, the football coach is, to do that. Uh, that's one of the questions, right? Is it Can you do that? Can the football coach just say, hey, if you want to, we're, I'm going to pray over here. You're welcome to pray with me. Or in this case, I don't think he was even giving an invitation, except it kind of went out there on social media. So there was certainly some kind of invitation. Some people were giving an invitation. But even if you do, is it is it okay or are you violating the rights of students? Do you, is it real that students would somehow feel unsafe by this? Uh, I'm not buying the unsafe argument, um, but we can talk about the rest of it here. 888-LA-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. Let's go to Sean in Los Angeles. Sean, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Sean, I can't hear you. Hi, Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Hi, Sean, go ahead. Okay, I say that there's a, you know, the government can't choose, pick and choose at their convenience um, when they say, they say it's a separation between church and state, but that still, that, that does not give the government the right to misuse their their uh, authority in telling us that we can't pray because prayer is no different than them roasting, cussing at the game as well. Everyone has a personal choice, in this, and I think that our civil liberties is being taken away, if so. But if they even if it was when in court, then the then the believer has to make that decision. And remember what the Word of God says: we follow every man, and I and I consider that as the government too, as they follow Christ. We do everything the government asks us to do with due diligence until they tell us to go against what God has commanded us to do. And All then right. that's where, and then, then that that's where, you know, if we have to, they're not, if they're going to be good about it. They're going to stand big for their devil because they're doing it. And we got to stay big for our God. The, the government shut it down in the churches, but they felt that the liquor stores was essential. I have All no right. respect to All anyone right. that says something like that to me. All right, Sean, thank you very much for your call and your thoughts on this. You know, it's uh, this is the debate, right, is whether it's a constitutional right for a person to practice their religion on their own. So, you know, what comes up in this discussion is, okay, is what, what the people who are against this kind of prayer are saying is that by doing it publicly, what you're doing is you're presenting uh, a religious, this is what they say, okay, a religious worship service uh, on company time is what they're saying. Um, and maybe that's his intention. Maybe it isn't. Maybe, you know, what he says is his intention was just to give thanks to God every game, win or lose. And, uh, there's pictures of him kneeling where people are just kind of walking by no one's paying any attention. And then there's pictures of him doing it where a lot of people are paying attention. It's interesting to me, all of this, whenever this comes up with schools, because we actually do public prayers in the government all the time, all the time. Uh, city council, council meetings, the United States Congress. There are paid paid chaplains in the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. Do you know that? And uh, they're both uh, the Christian. I don't know if they're really Christian, but they're they're Christian. At least the last time I looked, one of them got fired a while ago and then came back. And I, it was an interesting thing because I looked at that and I have a great friend in Washington, and I emailed him. I wasn't really seriously interested, but I said, "Hey, can I be the uh, the new chaplain?" And his response to me was very interesting. He said this. He said, no, you can't be the chaplain because you actually believe in God. 
And I thought, oh, that's really an interesting thing because there's different kinds of uh, religious approaches, right? There's a religious approach where it's just religion, but I don't really believe this. It's sort of traditional. It's sort of uh, just something that you do. And then there's people who really believe. And hopefully if, as a believer, you you believe. And if you really believe, you're going to have some kind of prayers going on. It's part of the Christian life, hopefully. 888-LA-TALKS is the number if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I was curious about whether or not this coach, let's say he was Muslim, what happens if he rolls out a prayer rug at some point during the game and did prayers? Would that be allowable? Um, he probably wouldn't be asking people to join in necessarily unless they were Muslim. Uh, I'm not sure that this coach was allowing people to join in or not allowing, but inviting people to join in. The religions are different, right? The attitude might be different. I don't know if a Muslim coach would even do that in public. Uh, A Muslim coach might find a private place uh, to do that. Um, And a Christian could do that. What's the right thing to do? when you are in this kind of job. So I've been thinking about is how in public areas you can do this already. I get invited and a lot of pastors around town and people from different religions who are in clergy get invited to go pray at public events, public government events. And I go in and I I do the prayers and it gives me an opportunity to get to know people. And they have some rules. They try to make you not really be all that, you know, partisan with it. They don't really want you to say in Jesus name, you can say in almighty God's name and you know whatever. Um, I usually sneak it in there. One time I got in trouble because I decided I was going to pray through the entire city council agenda. And I did, because you can go in and grab the agenda if you ever go to these meetings. And every citizen should go to these meetings, at least pay attention, at least go once in a while. You need to know. And at this particular time, the city council was very at each other's throat. I mean, you could feel the tension, the tension in the room. You could whack it with a broom. And I just thought these people are not just left and right. They genuinely do not like each other. And there were some good things on the agenda that needed to get done. And I decided, well, I'm going to pray all the way through it. And I did. I prayed through every bullet point, and uh, I did not get invited back uh, for a long time. And then I got invited back a few years later, and I was surprised. I figured they, they lost the memo that said, do not call. And then I became the emergency person, where if whoever was supposed to pray didn't show up or canceled for some reason, They needed someone to pray because it's on the agenda. Now, this is secular city council, uh, county board of supervisors kind of thing, okay? And I became the emergency person. So for a short period of time, I was in there a lot saying these prayers. And, you know, I just found it every time just kind of profound that I'm being invited to go to the, the county board of supervisors and say a prayer as ecumenical as they wanted it to be. Clearly, I'm a pastor from the First Baptist Church, and, you know, they know what I'm believing, and I throw it in Jesus' name, and nobody ever said anything. I don't know if they're even paying attention, but this was part of it, and it was always a big deal. I would go in, and they would, I would have my official photo taken with the the chair of the, the board and all these different people every time. So I have multiple pictures of myself with these city officials because they'd send me in, and it was the routine. I couldn't do that at a school board meeting, I don't think. I've not seen this at a, do they open in prayer at a school board meeting? I don't think so. I couldn't do it at a faculty staff meeting at the high school down the street. But still today, ministers are asked to go open public meetings in prayer. It's a very fascinating, fascinating thing. 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557 is the number. Steve from Anaheim, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Hi Steve. I can barely hear you. 
Uh, can you hear me better now? Yeah, much better now. Yeah, well, I just want to say that uh, you were asking about the Muslim thing, and I, I'm an ex-Muslim. And one mm. one thing about secular humanists is they're scared of Muslims. And so they would not do anything if the guy took out a prayer rug and prayed. But they're not scared of Christians. And so that's why they're always pushing us around. So that's my opinion. So. Yeah, Steve, that's an interesting thought there. So you're a, you're a former Muslim. Is this something that a Muslim would do, pray in public at a football game if they were the coach? You know what? They, they uh, any opportunity to uh, show their piety. They just did a huge thing over in uh, down in uh, Main, in uh, Times Square. You know, uh, where they had a huge outdoor Ramadan prayer. You know, they had to block out all of Times mm. Square so they could pray, and they do right. it all the time in Europe, all over Europe that has, you know, completely bowed down to Islam. And, uh, they, you know, they they block off streets so that they can pray on Fridays and during their important holidays. And uh, uh, absolutely they would. And so, and, so the, and, the school, and the secular humanists are scared of them, and so they won't say nothing. They'll say, oh, it's a cultural thing, let them do it. But if it's a Christian, they know they can push us around. So, yeah, I think that you might be right about that. That it would be it would be different. How long have you been a believer now, Steve? Uh, Forty four years. <laughs> okay, work, all right. I work with Muslims a lot. So, <laughs> so. all right. So do you uh, you work with Muslims, and uh, hey, um, thank you for doing that. Um, and I'm glad that you are a follower of Jesus today. All right, Steve, thank you for calling. I think that's uh, that's insightful there because I think he might be might be correct that there there is a difference in how maybe people of some different faiths would be be treated. I wonder if the coach was uh, Jewish, how a Jewish coach might decide uh, to express uh, his or her faith in that environment it might be different, but I wonder how they would be treated. I suspect uh, not very well. And I do think maybe the right word is that we're we're afraid of offending different groups. He he says the secular humanists, uh, so people who aren't really believers aren't don't you know who don't have a God, don't believe in God. Um, I think that might be correct that Christians and he said Christians are pushed around. Do you think we're pushed around? That's another interesting insight there. Are we pushed around, or is this maybe even not the best way to go about it? Maybe somebody thinks that uh, we shouldn't be praying like that um, at these games. Um, you know, we pray at NASCAR, NASCAR events, and we pray at uh, the Little League. The Little League, uh, they don't have, maybe in some places, in California, there's, I don't think there's Little League prayers, but um, the Little League pledge is to honor God. Did you know that? And when I was a coach of Little League, you know, we'd have everybody, all the kids, little kids, right? They go out to the line, and Little League is not a Christian organization, uh, and all the kids would go out to the line, and then you would pick a kid. Uh, you would pick a kid to give the national anthem, and uh, you'd give a, a kid, you know, who would lead everybody in it, and there would also be the Little League Pledge, all right? And so you'd say the national anthem, not the national anthem, the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, I mean, and then you would look for the flag, and hopefully there's a flag. Sometimes it's Little League, there's no flag out there, and everyone's just saying it, trying to figure out which direction do I face, you know? Um but the, the here's the pledge. Now, this is said in little leagues all across the country, including every little league I've been a part of here in California, including the rather liberal neighborhood where I've been a little league coach for several years. Here's the pledge, and all the kids say it. 
I trust in God. Somebody says it, and, they, and every kid repeats it. So the leader says it, I trust in God. That's the first line of the Little League Pledge, 2022. I trust in God, I love my country, and I will respect its laws. I will play fair and strive to win, but win or lose, I will always do my best. Play ball, and then you play ball. I Every single time, I am fascinated that that still happens at Little League games, and I have been coaches on teams where nobody's going to church, you know, except the pastor's kid who's on the team, where some people don't even know what church is. One time I couldn't be there because I had a Good Friday service that I needed to do, and we had a game on Good Friday. I'm like, well, I can't be there. And uh, I said to another coach, I said, I need you to be there because I can't, I can't be there at the game. Uh, I pastor the church, and we have Good Friday service. And he said, okay. And he looked at me, and I could tell he was a little bit confused. And I said, do you know, uh, understand why that there's Good Friday? And he had no idea what Good Friday even was. Like he'd heard of it, but he didn't know that that was the day that Jesus died. He didn't know that there would be uh, any ceremony of any kind. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, anyway, isn't that interesting? We still do this. What do you think about public prayer? Is there a place where even as Christians, it goes too far? Is there a place where you think that as believers, we should back away from maybe that kind of public prayer, or are we just afraid and uh, we need to go ahead and express our faith uh, publicly? 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live right here on KKLA. 99.5 FM in Los Angeles and KPRZ in San Diego. I'm Scott Furrow. We'll be back with this Monday edition of SoCal Live in just a moment. Stay tuned. With you today. Hope that you had a very good weekend. It's good to be back with you. Always enjoy Bob Lapine, who was with us last week. But it's also always good to be back and be able to have these conversations with each and every one of you about the issues of the day. We're talking about prayer in school and prayer in the public forum. And this is brought up because today the Supreme Court heard a case about a football coach who was fired ultimately for having prayer at the 50-yard line after games. And there's a lot of discussion about what the facts are in that case. Um, and the decision that the court will make likely this summer, probably in June, it's possible they'll just decide not to decide it. There's some possibility of that, and this court likes to do that. Uh, but I think they will decide it. Uh, what they're gonna, the argument to not decide it is that the coach, this, is, this happened seven years ago, and the coach now lives in Florida, and the high school that he was employed at is in Washington. So he's suing to get his job back, basically. And But he says he'll move back immediately, he still has family there, and he'll move back immediately and be the coach. So I think they will hear it. Um, the argument against it is, well, he lives in Florida now, so it's moot. That's not a very good argument, I think, in this case, because he does say he'll move back. Anyway, he lost his job for praying, just quick little prayers right after the football game, and sometimes players would join him. He did say that there were two times when players decided that they felt pressured to pray, and their idea was that they thought that they might be slighted somehow on the team because they didn't pray with a coach. And that gets into the argument against him is at what point does a public official, is a public official actually breaking the establishment clause of the Constitution and f- sort of leading someone in their religious view? All right. And however, this coach can prove that these kids were not slighted. In fact, both of them became team captains on his team. So they seem to be doing quite well and the kids aren't complaining. 
And even though Bremerton, Washington is so close to Seattle, it's nothing like Seattle in the politics of it. It's kind of small town, and most of the town is supportive of the coach, even if they're not particularly fond of the praying part. And then many, many people, many people are really happy about the praying coach and wanted their kids to be exposed to that, at least in the context, obviously, if they're a Christian and they follow Jesus the same way, but they also like the moral direction of it, which is something that has been lacking so much in schools. You can join our conversation by calling us at 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS is the number. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Let's go to Greg in Los Angeles. Greg, welcome to Southern California Live. Thanks for holding so long. Thank you. Um, I, I wanted to comment about your uh, your your story about the Friday and the earlier caller about of a fear. Okay. The uh, general public uh, knows so little about religion and the uh, basis of Christianity that uh, is one of the reasons why they fear, and uh, they, they know nothing about the, the context of which the uh, education in our country uh, through the major universities and colleges that were founded uh, by Christians with a Christian ethic, and uh, uh, you know uh, the whole uh, modus operandi for uh, these, the education of, uh, through these universities were to build a Christian ethic. Yes, and that began to change about seventy years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, really began earlier than that, but the changes began um, in the nineteen fifties. Uh, yeah. To the way people saw this, I mean Yale, Harvard, uh, any number of the HBUs, uh, these colleges were founded by uh, believers, and 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 to the extent that we educate them how functional and how uh, practical religion impacts the general public, uh, you know the the the, the crime the. Uh, so many uh, aspects of what happens negatively in, in, in uh, our society is not committed by people of faith. Yeah. All right. Thank you for your call, Greg. I think that part of what is going on, even part of this conversation that I think is good for us to have is we'll get a better understanding of our own faith if you're a believer or if you're you're not a believer. I think it's important that we understand other faiths. It was great to have a caller to talk about the Muslim issue, and that he used to be a Muslim, and this is the difference, that's the way he sees it. And the faiths are different. That It's just we have a, a society that is trying to say that basically all faiths are the same, which is to say that they're all false, every one of them, because they can't all be the same. It just doesn't work that way. And you're right that the history of our schools has been, in fact, most of our Ivy League League colleges were seminaries. All but one, I think, was a seminary. Harvard was a seminary. And Harvard, if you look at their logo, their Veritas logo, it has, today, it has three open books on it. But it used to have two open books and one book that was open but turned upside down. So you'd have two books that were open, like with words on it. And then if you look at the buildings where that, that crest is displayed, you see you see it in some different ways, but typically there's two open books and one book that's open, but it's turned upside down. And there's two different philosophies about that. One is that 
the books were meant to represent the Old and New Testament. Those were the open books. That's where God has revealed to us what is true about us, about the earth, about the universe, about what everything's about. And then the book that's upside down is to say that there is knowledge that was for God alone, that we can't study that. We're not going to learn that. And later on, people said, well, no, the two open books are science and history. We can learn about that and we can learn different things, but there are still things that we won't understand. That's the, the book that's overturned. And now most of the time you see all three books open, which is the notion that has changed, that there isn't something that is just unique to God, that we have become a culture where we think we can know everything. However, in modern thinking, in postmodern thinking, not to get into the philosophy of all of it, but but some of that is to say now we don't believe that anything is necessarily knowable, that everything is a construct, right? That's what we're seeing with a lot of our modern, modern arguments that we're seeing in the news so often that everything is a construct. Family is a construct. Gender is a construct. Religion is a construct. Our ideals, prayer is a construct, and it's all open for tearing it down. We've had a great and interesting history uh, of all of these things. Did you know that when school prayer was overturned by the court, do you know what the prayer was that got overturned? There's actually, this is what the prayer was. So, there was a prayer called the Regents Prayer. The New York Board of Regents created this little prayer to be said at school events. It was created in 1955, and this is the prayer that ultimately went to court, and this is the first of a couple of major cases that removed prayer from schools, and it also removed Bible reading from schools, and it removed just about anything, particularly from a Christian standpoint, out of the public schools. This was the prayer. Ready? This is the prayer that was offensive. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. That's it. That's the whole prayer. And that was found to be unconstitutional, that it was a violation of the Establishment Clause. The idea was that by school officials saying this, they were enforcing religion. You know, it's not exactly Christian. You could probably say that prayer if you were Jewish or Muslim or if your faith believes in a a personal God. But you couldn't really say that prayer, probably. I think you maybe could if you're Buddhist or you're an Eastern religion. And that was kind of what it was. But also, I think people understood that it's really a Christian prayer. If you look through our history, you see a lot of prayers from government officials and presidents, and they usually use the term Almighty God. But everybody knows they're talking about the Christian God. I think we understood that. So the board stated in the New York Regents prayer that the prayer was designed to do this, quote, to combat juvenile delinquency and counter the spread of communism, that that's the reason they had this prayer, which I find to be very, very interesting. And that's not really what the purpose is of prayer, but they felt like if they said a prayer before school events, this is in the state of New York, that said, we acknowledge our dependence on thee. We're basically, we're saying an American value that that we are under God, that God is something above government, that we're dependent on the Creator. Whoever you believe the Creator is, whatever it is that you believe that God is, there was a notion in our country that there is a God, a higher being. Most people were Christian or believed in the Christian God in one way or another, but also there was an acknowledgement that there are other faiths and they had freedoms to believe that. But the Christian belief in the country The religious belief for the founding of the country was that there is a God and we have dependence on that God, whoever you think that God might be. And then we beg that God would bless us, our parents and our teachers and our country. And they said 
that this was to combat juvenile delinquency and counter the spread of communism. The big evil of communism was ultimately that they did not believe in God. That's the evil of communism. You're listening to Southern California Live. You can call in and join the conversation right now at 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. So this prayer that ultimately led to the banning of prayer in uh, schools, the way we think of it, is this prayer that was designed to combat juvenile delinquency and counter the spread of communism. It's interesting to me that back then we thought that prayer mattered, even if it wasn't really spiritual, the attitude and prayer about the Judeo-Christian ethic of our country was alive and well. And that was what was said. There were many states, many different, I think 37 states actually required Bible reading in public schools uh, back then. So the the next cases that came up were about removing Uh, compulsory Bible reading. So some states used the Bible to teach basic morality, love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule, those kinds of things. And it's very hard to teach the Bible without ultimately teaching Jesus or without obviously tipping your hat in the direction of Christianity as the faith we believe in. So that's some of the, the argument. And it began to develop in the 1960s in court cases that all of this violated the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, the idea that the government shall establish no religion, that by having Bible reading or having these little prayers before church events or school events, that you're violating the Constitution, the constitutional rights of people who feel like they're being pressured into your religion. Now, fast forward to today. Now where it's gone is individuals' expression of their faith is being challenged. Should a teacher be allowed to pray for her meal in the cafeteria, even a silent prayer, bow her head and pray for her meal before she eats it in the view of other students? That is what this case is about. Should a teacher be able to have um, you know, jewelry and wear, wear a cross, but everybody knows that it's because you are a Christian, not because you're just wearing some kind of fashion statement? Should a teacher be able to uh, say a prayer with students who want to? Some of the rulings today are saying, well, it's okay if students direct this. If students decide they want to get up and lead a prayer, they can do that. But the employee is not allowed to do that. There's a lot of very interesting things going on in the schools today. What do you think should happen? 888-528-2557 is the number. And you can give us a call. We're going to take a break, and I'll get right back to your calls. This is the Monday edition of SoCal Live. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. SoCal Live. Scott Furrow with you. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-LA-TALKS is the phone number. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We're talking about prayer, prayer in the public sphere, public schools. What do you think about this? Should Christians push this agenda in the sense of should we go ahead and risk our jobs in order to pray in public, or is there a different approach? Is this something that is effective in sharing the gospel? Is this something that is helpful to us? And that might be one way of thinking of it. And another way, when you think about it, we're talking about the history of it. You know, the history of prayer in schools, it's always been there in our schools and since the beginning of our country. 
And there were some arguments about it that were going on in the 1800s, and they argued for a while that we shouldn't have the Bible in school or prayer in school until 1863 in the middle of the Civil War, and then everybody was praying. And that went away for about uh, 15 years before some of the arguments started to crop back up. You know, in, in the middle of the Civil War, a lot of people found Christ. It was so horrible and so terrible, and people realized that the war really was over the evil of slavery. And as much as people wanted to say states' rights or they wanted to make it an economic issue or other things, you know, those things are involved, but everybody knew this is about the evils of slavery, our nation's original sin, some people would call it. Lincoln would acknowledge that directly in his second inaugural in 1865, that God is is allowing this to happen to our country because of that. And it's remarkable how deeply spiritual we became after the war in many places, and penitent, I think, for quite a while. And then our country's big enemy was communism, which was an atheistic um, approach to government. If you're wondering why things are happening with Russia and Ukraine, is the the atheism that led the Soviet Union for so long is still there in spite of the fact of Putin going to church and doing weird things, which is all political, by the way. Do not be impressed by this if you're following that. He has engaged the uh, Russian Orthodox Church to try to win favor of the people. You know, he took, uh, he dug up Lenin. Remember, uh, Vladimir Lenin was on ice in front of everybody. You could go visit Lenin. His body would be out there and it was preserved under glass. And it was this whole rigmarole and they'd lower him down and and doctor him up, and then you could go see his body. And uh, he, Putin, one of the things he did to reach out to the Russian Orthodox Church was to give Lenin a Christian burial, so-called, and they buried him. And uh, he's made a lot of deals, but everybody agrees it's pretty corrupt. And Putin being there is, is like that. And sometimes what happens is religion does get corrupt in a country. The reason that we have the notion of separation of church and state the reason that that is in our Constitution, the Establishment Clause, is because the founders understood that God is above government, that our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, says that we have inalienable rights that are endowed by our Creator, and they cannot be taken away, is the idea, that if our rights come from the Creator, then they don't come from government, and government's job is to protect those rights that come from the Creator. And so when it comes to the right to religion and freedom of practicing your religion, where does that right end? And that's some of the argument that's happening here. I think that part of what's happening is that we don't like the public expression of worship, the worship of Almighty God. I I do think that there is a spiritual part of this that is different for Christians. Personally, I think, and this is just, I'm just going to give you my take here, but my take is that that Christianity is true. That's where I'm coming from, that that not everything everybody says is true about it. Not everything every pastor says is, is true, but the Bible for what it expresses, for what the authors meant, is actually true. And therefore, there is a God, there is a spiritual battle going on that we cannot understand or see, but that we know is happening. The Bible is very clear that there is a spiritual battle happening and that it's happening within government. It's happening within every level of society because people are either going to go to heaven and hell. That's the actual spiritual battle that's going on. And the evil one is not going to appreciate representations of worship or truth. 
and will do everything possible to deceive. And that, I think, is a big part of what is going on. 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS is the number. Czar from Arcadia. Welcome to Southern California Live. Yes, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's uh, it's a perfect uh, Christian persecution. It's been going on for thousands of years, and it's still going on. They're suppressing the Christian body with, with the modern modern tools, which is the law, which is the uh, oppression and depression more and more and more. They, they're trying to take away our rights. And uh, it's a persecution. The coach is being persecuted in modern era. That's, how that's you, my point. Yeah. How do you feel like we should respond as Christians to, to that? Let's say that, that, that that's correct, that Christians' rights or religious people's rights are being taken away in our country. How do we respond as followers of Jesus? We need to push back. We need to be, have solidarity. We need, with one voice, to stand up. Christians from all nations must fight. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Armenian, and I've seen uh, socialism. We lived in communist country, and this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to take our freedom away. It's all about freedom. It's all about Christian ethics. It's all about destroying the body of Christ. Okay. All right, Zar. Thank you for your call. And, uh, you know, you will get that opinion from anybody who's been in a communist country. Whenever I hear people today championing communism, usually there's some statement that says, well, the rest of those people didn't do it right. But the problem is, is that if you're going to have that perspective, then the state has to become God. Then you you can't really have um, a God who is who is somehow more powerful or more important than the state. It doesn't. Then the system doesn't work. The whole way of thinking doesn't work. If you wonder why the brutality of Vladimir Putin is happening in Ukraine, which might get worse and worse. If you're wondering about the difference in discussion in that country and the difference of the opinion of facts in the world, why there's so much confusion and distortion, and why that's allowed. It comes from a foundation of there being no God. When there's no God, you don't have to have morality. When there is no God, morality is just a construct, as people might say today in academia, that, that you know, murder ultimately is just a construct. And war, and not just war, but borders of countries, that's just a construct. We're all just human beings here. See, and it begins to break down because if there is no God, if there is no higher voice of morality, if there is nothing that says to us, this is true, this is false, if there is nothing beyond our government, then the government is just saying that based upon their own power and authority, and anybody else can get up and say, no, that's not true, and gain power, usually violently, to say, no, there's a different truth. In fact, that's the history of countries, right? The reason that People came over here and tried to plant a, a Christian nation, a real one ultimately, meaning that the Puritans came and they made it a Christian nation, right? You, your taxes were your tithe, and they had the PRS, the Puritan Revenue Service, who would come to your house and make sure that you were tithing. And that was the goal of it, that that religion would be given by the government, and they believed that, that Christianity was true, therefore the, the government should be imposing it on people. And that's the reason that the Puritan experiment ultimately failed is because that's not actually the way God wants to do it, that that God and salvation and our freedom and rights are above government. 
that government should be under God, that government should be subservient to God, that government has a role that is given by God to serve people, to govern, to punish wrongdoing, all of those things. And that's where our country got it right after the Puritan experiment failed and it devolved into the Salem witch trials and all kinds of craziness. What the founders took out of that was the brilliance of what the United States is, the brilliance that says the government's job is not to impose religion, that the government's job is to defend the rights given by Almighty God and to allow you to even disagree with that if you want to because God gives you an opportunity to accept him or reject him. But the government's job was to protect the rights that were given us by God. That's the brilliance of the United States right there in a nutshell. I mean, it's much bigger than that, obviously. But that was the idea. The idea is that the government does not define for you what you are to believe religiously. And even though at the beginning of our our country, really for the first 150 years, the government did lean pretty hard into Christianity. There were 37 states with required Bible reading. There were many states that have still today, in fact, because don't, we don't pay attention much to our state constitutions. Every state has its own constitution, and it's usually a, you know, a horrific document. But in some of the older uh, colonial states especially, there are statements in there that say, you know, anybody can be a public servant, but you're much more qualified if you're a Christian which is an interesting thing to say if you are thinking that there is a total separation of church and state that the government shouldn't have religion at all, which isn't what it says. I think for us as we think about this, we need to pray about this decision. It'll happen in June, the Supreme Court decision in the Kennedy case about the football coach who was fired for leading prayer on the 50-yard line. It's going to impact how we can share our faith. It's going to impact, especially if you work for a public school or government entity. It's going to affect maybe whether or not you can even pray for your meals, whether or not you can wear Christian jewelry, all kinds of different things. But here's the thing to keep in mind. Even if that goes completely against this coach, if further expressions of Christianity are eventually banned from schools, the church is not going to be derailed. In fact, some of these things actually, in some way, persecution comes, and it helps us focus and work together. I think as citizens, we need to fight for religious freedom because when that goes away, a country goes away. History teaches that. Uh, We should be concerned about even other religions being persecuted. That's why the Uyghurs in China, for example, we should be speaking out a lot more about their persecution because it does matter that that's going on. But do not lose hope in your faith. Our faith is going to persevere through every single thing. All right, we got to end for this hour. We'll be back in the next hour. We're going to talk about Elon Musk, some more freedom of speech, and some other things. You're listening to Southern California Live. This is the Monday edition. I'm Scott Furrow. We will be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.